the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Romans. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. There is a real battle that goes on right here, friends, in our mind. That's why Paul said to the Corinthians, we do not wage wars as the world does. For the weapons we fight with have power to demolish strongholds, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We have to take captive those thoughts that come into our mind. We can't, we can't let those thoughts just run wild, because guess what? Sin follows what we think. There is a great battle in our minds. For some, the mind can feel like something that's very much out of control. Controlling our physical body is easy, but our mind is another story. In today's message, Pastor Gary will remind you that your thoughts shape your life. Are your thoughts about things you know you could lead astray? Or are your thoughts about the Lord? As Christians, we're called to take every thought captive. Sinful thought leads to sinful action, and we need the Holy Spirit to help train our minds. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Romans chapter 8 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. So when you and I are born under the law of sin and death, we're on, we're on course to be sinful because we're, we are sinful, born into sin, and will sin because of a sin nature we inherited from Adam. We are under the law of sin and death. And on that course, we will all die, separated from God eternally. When Christ comes and dies on a cross for us, pays the price for us, willingly offers us now the gift of eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. And he says, now listen, if you accept what I've done for you on the cross, you will then, by faith, come into relationship with me. My very spirit will be made alive in you. Okay, because when we are, before we become a Christian, we have a, the spirit within us because we're created body, soul, and spirit, but it is dead. It is not quickened. It is not made alive. Our body is dominant. When we come into relationship with Christ, then God, by, by his Holy Spirit, comes into us, and now our spirit is made alive such that our spirit now can be the dominant factor of our lives. It doesn't mean that the law of sin and death has been negated. It just simply means that now we have a greater power within us that overcomes the force of the law of sin and death. Does everybody understand this now? Okay. There's three heads nodding. Thank you very much for your encouragement. <laughs> In other words, look, look, gang. We, we will still have to recognize this battle exists. But you no longer have to succumb to it. 
because we have a greater power within us than the average person who doesn't know Christ. A person who doesn't know Christ, before you came to know Christ, you know how it went. You just did whatever you jolly well wanted to do. And you lived for your own pleasure. And it was a selfish existence. Okay? And you didn't have much control over it sometimes. You come to faith in Christ. You yield your life to him. Now, I want to reckon the old man dead. So I have to recognize that this battleless guy is going to still creep up in my life. But now God has also given me an added dimension of strength and power that I never had before I came to know him. To be able to resist those things because his very spirit is within me now. Which is now the key verse of what God does. God's part is Romans 8.11. Remember, our part was Romans 6.11. Notice, God's part is Romans 8.11. And what did that verse say again? And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Which he is when you come to faith in Christ. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. It's a powerful verse, friends. Because what it is saying is that the very same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that is living in you when you become a Christian. That's some powerful power. (laughs) And that power is what enables us to resist sin, to say no to those things that tempt us. Now, that puts me on the hook. That puts you on the hook. Because no longer can we say the devil made me do it. It's, it's on us now. Because no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. That's what Paul said to the Corinthians. So it's and when you are tempted, okay, we will be tempted, but God has already provided a way out. There is no temptation that has seized you except what is common to man. Every temptation you and I face is very similar to anybody else in this room. But no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful for when you are tempted, he will provide a way out, which means there's nothing that I am going to be tempted with based on that verse and this one but that God has not given me the ability to resist it. So if I don't resist it, it's because I choose it. Shame on me. God has given us the same power that raised Christ from the dead to have victory and dominion over our flesh. So when we become a Christian, it gets inverted. It gets inverted back to the original state when Adam walked with God in that sense where the spirit was dominant over body. We then inherit a sin nature, body is dominant over spirit, then we get saved, spirit now is dominant over flesh. And this is important, the, the mind aspect in all of this, because notice between verses, um, well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm going to get ahead of myself now. Let, let, me, let, me, let me move on to a couple points here. So how to live under the law of the spirit of life, because he, he begins now to articulate some things in chapter 8, which is somewhat of a summary of some of the other things he's already said. But here's, here's the first thing, four points here, if you, if you want it. If you really want to understand how do you live a life under the law of the Spirit, no longer under the law of sin and death, though that's still an active law, but if you want to overcome that force, then, then Paul gives us some simple points here. The first is what we've already been saying through chapter 6 through 8, to recognize the battle of the flesh and spirit. And the second one he says here, in verse, starting in verse 5, is set your mind on what the spirit desires. And four times the word mind is used between verses 5 and 8. 
Let me read those verses again. He says, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. He says, the sinful mind Actually, five times. Sorry, this is the fifth time. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. So the strong emphasis on the mind. There is a real battle that goes on right here, friends, in our minds. That's why Paul said to the Corinthians, we do not wage war as, as the world does. For the weapons we fight with have power to demolish strongholds. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We have to take captive those thoughts that come into our mind. We can't, we can't let those thoughts just run wild because guess what? Sin follows what we think. Nobody committed adultery except that they thought about it first. Nobody lied except they thought about it first. The mind is the battleground that must be won. And that's why he says to us, you're going to have to set your mind on what the Spirit desires. He's going to tell us later in chapter 13, don't even think about how to desire, rather how to fulfill the desires of the sinful nature. Don't even think about it. So we have to take captive every thought. We have to make it obedient to Christ. We have to set our mind on what the Spirit desires. Then further down, let's pick up where we left off. Verse 12, he says, therefore, brothers, we have an obligation But it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now now notice verse 13. Isn't isn't that just kind of a repeat of chapter 6, verse 11, about reckon the old man dead? So that's number 3. He's just kind of reemphasizing it. He says, put to death sinful choices. But look, notice, it's by the Spirit's help because he says there, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So he's reminding us this is going to be by the Spirit's help that we put to death the misdeeds of the body. And then he adds in verse 15, a fourth point, from verse 15 to 17. He says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, notice this. He brings it to a place where he says, you you have to know who you are in in your identity with the Father. And he he adds here, I love this part there in verse 15. He he says, you did not receive a, a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is a Hebrew word that just means daddy. I remember one of the first times I was in Israel, this is back in like 99 or 2000, and I was just kind of caught off guard when I heard this little kid running in the street calling, Abba, Abba. And I thought to myself, how in the world does that kid know a musical group from the 70s. I I just, 
I, dancing queen, what is this? I, I just can't believe. Anyway, no. So, but he was his dad. So I just had a little flashback there. Sorry. Sorry. Take a chance on me. Anyway. Um, but his dad was running, running up ahead. And this little kid was just crying, Abba, Abba. And, and this verse came to mind because this is a very tender, affectionate term that just simply means daddy. And he's just crying out for his daddy. And Paul says here, okay, you can do these things. Remember that you're in a battle. Set your minds on the things of the spirit and what is above. And put to death the sinful you know, misdeeds of the body by the spirit's help. But he says then basically here, number four, keep your identity in Christ. Know who you are in the Lord. You're a son. You're a daughter of the most high. And we can approach the throne of grace in our time of need, and we can cry, Abba, Daddy. We can call him our Daddy. That might seem like a little too sacrilegious for some of you, like, I don't, I don't feel comfortable calling him Daddy, but that's what that word means. So get comfortable with it, because that's the kind of personal relationship that he wants to have with us, that we would approach the throne of grace and just cry out, Abba, Daddy, you're my Father in heaven. And I am your son, or, or for you, for your, I am your daughter, and that I can cry out to you. And so he, he says all these things here, these four things. Recognize the battle of the flesh and the spirit. Set your mind on what the spirit desires. Put to death sinful choices by the spirit's help, and keep your identity in Christ. By the way, I don't know how many of you were watching the, the Olympics the other night, but um, I didn't know that a couple of the divers, David Badia and Steele Johnson, I didn't know that they were believers, uh, how many of you heard their, their quick testimony? Okay, so I was, I was just, you know, listening to the interview like anybody else, and then all of a sudden, you know, they were asked, the microphone goes in front of, they won the silver medal in men's synchronizing diving, and, and uh, synchronized diving, and so the microphone goes in front of their hand, and some NBC reporter was saying, you know, so what do you think about winning the silver medal? And, and first, I don't remember which guy spoke first, but I think it was Badia, and he said, he said, yeah, you know, it's really wonderful, but, but my identity is in Christ. And then they quickly move the microphone over the next guy, you know, like, okay, thanks very much. And then, well, what did you, and then Steele Johnson goes, yeah, you know, this is incredible. My identity is in Christ. Okay, back to you, Bob Costas, you know. And so it was like over. But, but then I looked up and Christianity Today had uh, written a little article about him. And so uh, Budia, who still, I guess, is going to compete in the individual platform, uh, told an NBC national audience, quote, it's just an identity crisis. He said, when my mind is on this diving and I'm thinking I'm defined by this, then my mind goes crazy. But we both know, speaking about his dive partner, but we both know that our identity is in Christ and we're thankful for this opportunity to be able to dive in front of Brazil and in front of the United States. It's been an absolutely thrilling moment for us. So praise the Lord that two people are still giving thanks to Jesus and saying, my identity is not in diving, it's not in this Olympic medal. My identity is in Christ. And we need to always remember our identity is in Christ. We belong to him. We don't belong to this world anymore. When we become a Christian, we need to understand our citizenship is in heaven. And now we're just kind of biding our time and trying to bide it well and to honor him and to show people who Jesus is and to share our faith and to love people. But our citizenship is not here. We're just passing through. Our citizenship is in heaven. If you feel out of place sometimes, like the, that you're a foreigner in, a, in, a, in, a, in an unknown land, you should. If you, if you, you know, the Bible says we are aliens and strangers of this world. We're just passing through. If you feel out of work, out of place some, sometimes where you work, 
you know, you don't really fit in sometimes. You don't really, you know, the, the awkward Christmas parties at the office and, you know, everybody's boozing it up and you're standing, you know, and, and you know, you're trying to be, you know, engaging and you don't want to stand in a corner and, you know, act all weird and give, a, give all of us a bad name. But you nevertheless, you know, you, if you still feel a little bit like, I just feel kind of out of place, you should. We all should because we're only passing through. Our ultimate destination and our eternal reward is in heaven. Now, that's where Paul ends up going in this passage. Keep reading further. We're not going to finish the whole chapter, but just look at the next section here. He says in verse 18, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Okay, what's he talking about? He's talking about this eternal perspective. He says, yeah, sometimes this world can get really difficult and trials and hardships and the battle of our flesh and, you know, feeling sometimes, you know, discouraged and frustrated and, and anxious and fearful and all these things. He says, yeah. And, and if anybody had reason to say he has some present sufferings, it was Paul. Okay. A man who had been shipwrecked a few times, beaten and left for dead and, and even had an, a, a, a near-death kind of experience where he talks about, you know, being taken up to paradise and, you know, and lives to write about it. And so if there was anybody who was able to say he's endured present sufferings, it was Paul. And he says, and yet, I don't, I don't even compare those things to the glory that will be revealed. Because in its proper perspective, all those difficulties and all those hardships will pale in comparison to the wonderful glory of being with the Lord on that great and wonderful day. And he says in verse 19, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So, you know, he talks about creation, you know, probably referring to just our own frail physical shells and, you know, how, how we are in agony in this lifetime, you know, about issues that trouble us and bother us and, um, you know, those, those kind of difficulties that we all face. And he says, you know, and so creation longs for the hope to be liberated from this bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. He says in verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So he's talking about the ultimate redemption when we will get a glorified body because it's not until we die and go to be with the Lord that we will get a glorified imperishable body like Jesus had that will replace this frail physical body. He says, so we eagerly await for that ultimate adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. He says, verse 24, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So he's, he's not hastening death. It's not a death wish, but he's saying, you know, when that day comes, it's going to be such a wonderful fulfillment 
of the ultimate redemption. Because in this lifetime, friends, when you and I receive Christ, our spirit is regenerated, but our body is not. That only happens when we go to be with the Lord. And he says, that's just going to be a wonderful and glorious day when we will be completely and totally in this glorified state with the Lord, body, soul, spirit, in his presence. He says, we wait for it patiently. He says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Now let me just comment briefly on this in the last couple of minutes we have. Some people interpret this passage here, especially where it talks about we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Some interpret that to mean the prayer language of the gift of tongues, which I do clearly believe the Bible still teaches is available as God distributes the gifts of the Spirit. But there's debate as to whether or not, is that what he's talking about? Is he talking about a prayer language that God gives to some as a gift of the Spirit uh, or not? And, and those who think that it is not, I tend to fall into that camp, even though, again, I believe in, that, in all the gifts of the Spirit. But the reason is because he's trying to make a connection with the idea that there are some times, situations, where we don't say anything because we don't have the words. So it's, we're not even uttering in tongues if that happens to be a gift that God might give somebody. He, he says here, he says, we don't even know what to pray, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Even the gift of tongues are words. So he's, he's speaking here about something that transcends language altogether. And this is, this is, this is what I believe that he's saying. This is what you know, many others believe is what he's saying. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. You ever, you, ever, you ever been in a place in your life where your face has been in the carpet and you've just been weeping and groaning? Maybe it's over a horrific thing that happened to you or grief or whatever pain that you may have experienced. You don't know a single word to say because you're just lying there, stretched out before God, facing the carpet, soaking it with your tears. That's what he's talking about. There's going to be times you don't even know what to say. And you're, just, you're just weeping before the Lord, and language is inadequate to express the deep, the deep pain of your heart. But God's Spirit connects with your spirit, and God knows without even you uttering a word what your pain is and what your need is and what that groaning means. Because God, by His Spirit, communes with you in your spirit, that very spirit that He has given you, so that you connect with the heart of God in ways that words just simply can't express. And I can tell you, there have been times in my life where I've been thankful that I don't need to say anything. God knows the groaning of my heart, and God knows the deepest expression of our souls, because by his spirit, he connects with our spirit in ways that words cannot express. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Just to know that God, by his spirit, understands your deepest pain, your deepest grief, your deepest need, even sometimes when you don't even know how to put it into words. 
that by His Spirit, He connects with ours. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. That's good news. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection as Pastor Gary Hamrick teaches through the Book of Romans. If you'd like to hear this message again or others like it, feel free to visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app so you can have these teachings with you on the go. That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Simply look under the Teachings tab. While you're there, feel free to take some time to learn about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd be happy to meet you. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other information on our website. Again, that is cornerstoneconnection.cc. We hope and pray that you've been blessed by today's teaching in the book of Romans. Keep reading on your own in this book to discover many other inspiring and motivating things. Pastor Gary will continue teaching through the book of Romans on our next edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes Mercy is waiting for you With every sunrise Hope is an open ocean Jump in and you'll find the cornerstones Your connection run towards your new General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.